Good morning, ladies. It's good to see all of you here today. We're going to be continuing on in 2 Corinthians today. Um, I am John Mansfield. I'm going to give you a quick picture of my family because I have cute kids and I think everyone should see them all the time. <laughs> um, so I'm married to Dan. He, um, he just started as the interim director at the traditional worship service. So if you're here last weekend, he was the one with the British accent on stage. And um, my kids, we have Ollie, who is almost six. He will tell you his birthday as soon as you see him. So if you do see him, know it's February 12th and it is coming up fast. Um, then we have Henry, who does not have a birthday soon. And Ben, who is turning two on the second. So things are going fast right now for us. It's exciting. Um, I met Dan at a Bible college in England, so that's that's how we met. Yeah, that's how I met him. All right, so looking into 2 Corinthians, we're going through chapters 6 and 7 today. And as we looked at these chapters, the real theme that we drew from it was that we we're going to be moving onward with wisdom through the messiness into joy. And that sentence sounds like a, a bit much, but I think you'll really see that theme come through as we read through what Paul had to say. All right, and as a review, I have a very short video about 2 Corinthians, just so that you can kind of figure out where we were and where we are in this relationship, because the relationship between Paul and the Corinthian church is gonna be a main theme of these chapters. Quick escape from there. All right. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Even though it's called second or two Corinthians in our Bibles, there are multiple clues within this letter that it's not the second thing he ever wrote to the church of ancient Corinth. Paul started this Jesus community in Corinth some time ago on one of his missionary journeys. You can read the story in the book of Acts chapter 18. And after moving on, Paul got a report that things were not going well there. So he wrote the letter that we call 1 Corinthians to correct these problems. And it appears that many in the church rejected Paul's teaching in that letter and rebelled against his authority. And so we learn in this letter that Paul had followed up in person with what he called the painful visit. And after that, he sent a letter, which he says was written with anguish and tears. And so after all of these measures, most, but not all of the Corinthians, realized their arrogance and they apologized to Paul. They wanted to reconcile. And so Paul wrote this letter to assure them of his love and commitment. The letter's been designed with three main sections, each addressing a distinct topic. So Paul. All right, so we get back to the PowerPoint here. Beautiful. The technology works, which we always appreciate. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to have a little bit of a pop quiz. I stole the idea from Angie, so I, thought, I hope you're okay with that, Angie. All right. So the first two questions are going to be questions where you're all just going to shout out your answers. So if you're not confident, shout quietly. <laughs> all right. So the author is, oh, thanks. Excellent. And this is to the, written to the church app. Lovely. Now the next two questions, I want you to turn to a neighbor or two and see who has the best answer. All right. So why were the Corinthians dissatisfied with Paul? So just take probably 20 seconds or so with the neighbor and see why they were dissatisfied. Okay. 
I'm sure the Corinthians could go on longer, but for us, we're going to stop for a moment. Um, does anyone think that they have a, a fairly concise answer as to why they were upset with Paul? False teachers. Yes, false teachers were coming in and uh, unfortunately they did not agree with Paul. So that was a little bit of an issue. Um, yeah, false teachers was the main one. And then Paul's public speaking wasn't impressive. And he went through a lot of hardships and they weren't impressed with that either. So yeah, they had a lot to hold against Paul, unfortunately. Um, next up, what was his response to the concerns of the Corinthian church? Again, just 20 to 30 seconds with a neighbor or two. All right. And does anybody have an answer that they would like to share for this one? Or yell out? Either one is fine. <laughs> he still loved them and cared for them. Like, really, as I was reading through six and seven, like these chapters are just kind of a sorrowful love letter to the Corinthian church, which I feel like so many of our relationships have that, those dual aspects of just such joy in the relationship and just unending sorrow when things aren't going well. So as we begin chapter six, verses one through three, um, as, oh, and feel free to follow along in your own Bibles too. I know the screens are sometimes difficult to see with if the sun ever decides to shine in Minnesota again. <laughs> Um, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now, and as we ended chapter five, Paul was talking about the salvation that we find through Christ. So he's really just ending that, summing it up, saying that Paul, like Paul had seen a tendency for these people to drift away from their faith, to drift away from a faith where their hearts were affected, where their lives were affected, and simply have a faith of knowledge or even let it fall to the side. So he's warning these people he loves against that. Second Corinthians 6, 4 through 10, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. And ladies, Paul was careful. In this day and age, a lot of us think we have to be careful, but Paul was very careful not to discredit his ministry with things that were not central to the gospel. Um, we can see in a few chapters, we're going to see where Paul makes sure that uh, the offerings are taken by multiple people, like they're taken from Corinth to Jerusalem by multiple people who were known to the Corinthians, who were trusted by the Corinthians, because he didn't want even the appearance that he was doing things that were unacceptable with the tithes that were being collected. Um, he's careful in a lot of aspects. He, he explains himself a lot to the Corinthians throughout these chapters, but I thought we should just reflect on how that affects us today and how we can be careful. Um, I have, I, I once worked with a pastor who said that he didn't want anything that wasn't central to the gospel to stop people from meeting Jesus. And I do try to think about that in my life. I have a little bit of a silly example for you. Has anyone heard of the Instagram account Preachers and Sneakers? No? Oh, Spea's heard of it. So there is an Instagram account where, oh, you have, <laughs> Spea is willing to be accountable with her shoes. Um, so it's an Instagram account where someone just takes 
pictures of pastors who are wearing very expensive shoes and post them online with how much those shoes cost. Now, it sounds a little silly, and I'm sure much of it is tongue-in-cheek, but I have an example that I wanted to show you from that. These shoes, does anyone know what these shoes are called? Anybody? Young table over here, I'm looking at you. No? So these are Yeezys. These were seen on a pastor. Would anyone hazard a guess as to how much these shoes cost? Higher, not 500. Higher than 2,000. Slightly higher than 5,000. $5,611. And ladies, while I, I, I can promise you my shoes do not cost that much, I'm, I'm a $20 shoe girl, which is not actually good for my arches, but it is good for this, this illustration. So there we are. Um, it's an extreme example, but we need to look at our lives, not just financial areas, but areas of how we interact with people who are coming into church, how we love our neighbors because we wanna be like Paul. We wanna make sure we're not putting stumbling blocks of a pastor wearing $5,000 sneakers in front of people who wanna walk into church doors. All right, next up. Second Corinthians chapter, five, chapter six, verses five through 10. And this is a little bit of a long segment, so stick with me. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. Yeah, the Zoom may be having issues. Sorry, I just noticed it. Um, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. Paul's attitude when going through trials is an amazing example to us all. I mean, it's tempting to ask why bad things are happening to us. I, I have asked that whenever bad things happen to us. I stub my toe and I ask, why is this bad thing happening to me? Um, and it's really tempting to allow ourselves to become poor, poor ambassadors of Christ on bad days and to just not be thankful on bad days. But in this, we see that Paul's hope and his reason for having having the attitude that he does doesn't come from himself. It comes from the assurance of Christ, the assurance that not only do we have salvation, but we have a God who's willing to walk through life with us and carry us through life when it is too difficult. Um, I find this passage very interesting as well because Paul's contemporaries were using a literary style um, that they were called the Cynics and Stoics. And they were using a literary style to say all the bad things that had happened to them and why they didn't care because they were above everything. They were above all their trials. And Paul kind of turns that on his head because he's not saying that he is above this. He is saying that with Christ's help, he is above it. So I just, I think Paul is just, I mean, he's a smart guy, clearly. So I enjoy that. Um, 2 Corinthians 6, verses 11 to 13. 
We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. So as I said at the beginning, Paul is using this letter to teach the Corinthians, but also to reach out to people he loves, people who he, had, he invested in their lives, people who no longer wanted him in their lives. I think it's just a beautiful example to us of just loving people when it is very hard, when it's very messy. Second Corinthians 14 to 16. And in these slides, I am splitting 16 and a half. So if you're following along in your Bible, just know it is split in half for this. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? And ladies, I have heard this passage preached on multiple times, but almost exclusively, it was before I was married and it was preaching to people not to marry non-Christians. So it's interesting to look at it in a, in a frame that is beyond that. Um, I don't think it's a misapplication to say that we should try to marry believers, but I think the passage does go beyond that. Um, this doesn't mean we can't have relationships with people who are not Christian. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be friends with people. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't say hi to your neighbor because that would be ridiculous. And then nobody would help you shovel ever. So definitely don't do that. This is Minnesota. Um, but it does mean we need to be careful. We need to be careful with who we are allowing to speak into our lives and who we are becoming more like. Um, Jim Rohn is an American entrepreneur. He, did, he consulted a lot with businesses and he wrote for a lot of different magazines. But one of the things he was famous for was saying that we are the sum of the five people we spend the most time with. And that's, I heard it probably five, six years ago. And ever since then, I just really thought, how, how are the people I'm surrounding myself with causing me to grow? Are they causing me to grow in ways where I am becoming the person I want to be, a person who's more like Christ? Or am I falling into bad habits? Am I deciding to complain more? I, I have small children. A lot of my friends are moms, and we have one-upmanship contests about whose kid made the biggest mess, and that's not necessarily helpful to my spirit and loving my kids throughout the day. Um, but I do think it's important that we all reflect on that and that we look at our relationships in that light. Moving on into 16 to 18. For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And so here we can see Paul bringing Old Testament scripture into this conversation with the Corinthians. And ladies, we just went through Hebrews. We know about the temple. Like if anybody knows about the temple in this church right now, this is, this is the group. So we can see we are the temple of the living God. We just learned about that animal sacrifice. We learned about the blood that was just a symbol of their sins, a symbol of our guilt. And instead of that, we are called into a relationship that resembles the Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies with our living God. And we are called to conduct ourselves in a way that reflects that, in a way that 
shows that we care about walking side by side with God. And so that's, that's really what Paul's bringing in. Our attitudes affect how we walk with God. Our relationships with others affect how we walk with God. And in no way are we ever going to be perfect. That would be ridiculous. But we are called to strive. Next up, I'm actually going to call up somebody to read chapter seven to us. I was going to try to summarize chapter seven for you, but it took me a minute and 20 seconds, and it only took me two minutes and 30 seconds to read it. So I figured may as well like God actually use the real words. Um, so I'm going to bring my friend Kelsey up, and Kelsey is going to read chapter seven for us. Thank you, Kelsey. Yeah. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates God and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one, we've corrupted no one, we've exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have spoken to you with great frank frankness. I take pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you is true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. Thank you so much, Kelsey. So chapter seven, um, it's just a beautiful picture of Paul's love for these people. Like they doubted him, completely doubted him. And yet he is just 
something that struck me is that every single paragraph ends with his joy about these Corinthians. Four paragraphs, four sections. Oh, there we go. Um, seven, four. I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all of our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. Verse six, he told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me. So my joy was greater than ever. 13, by all this, we are encouraged. And 18, I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. And we see throughout that entire portion, he's going through hardships, he's having difficulties, and yet he's finding joy in these people. So as we look at Paul's interaction with the Corinthians, what can we draw from it to apply to our own lives? I'm going to say there's three things we can draw from this. So first of all, Paul was honest with himself and with the Corinthians about the situation. He didn't try to pretend that there was no mess. He was in the mess. So for that, we can look at our messes and be honest about them, even to ourselves. Next up, we have how Paul applied we have Paul's experience, Titus's experience, and the scripture that he pulled in from the Old Testament. And from this, I think we can apply wisdom, whether it's our own experiences, the experiences from, of others, or scripture, which is a wonderful foundation to stand upon. And last of all, we see that Paul has joy about the Corinthian church that existed within his sorrow, within his situation. And from that, I think we need to embrace that joy. Sometimes embracing looks a lot more like clutching for me. So I think that that's something that we can remember as well. Um, and I'm going to give you an example application because I think it's helpful to see applications that aren't just relationships. So one mess that I was in almost six years ago now was this super cute little baby. And ladies, while this baby is absolutely adorable, this is my oldest, Ollie. He also, like, I had an emergency C-section for the birth, so I was not supposed to lift anything that was heavier than 10 pounds, and this baby was 10 pounds and 15 ounces. <laughs> not a promising start, but on top of that, he had some of the most extreme colic that our pediatrician had ever seen. So I was walking around post-surgery for months with this baby who would not stop crying. And ladies, I... I some of you have been there. Some of, I mean, I'm sure all of you have heard a crying baby and it's not pleasant at the best of times, but when it is endless for months and you're going without sleep for longer than two hours and you just like, you can't sit down for a meal, like it takes its toll after a while. And so that was my mess. And it seemed hopeless because I had never had a baby before. I did not know that by the time this kid hit eight months, he would eventually stop crying. <laughs> um, so first up, the mess. Ollie was colicky and I was fragile. Oh, that's my other kids. Sorry, that, I, I meant to delete that one, but they're so cute. <laughs> um, so applying wisdom for this situation, I gradually learned more about my baby. I talked to moms who had been through it, specifically one mom who had an extremely colicky baby who was now one of my favorite high school students I knew. So I knew there was hope. He wasn't always going to scream at me. <laughs> um, and then seeking reassurance in scripture, looking at Psalms and seeing that there's hope even in distress, even in discomfort. 
And last up, embracing the joy. So for me in this mess, that looked like embracing the baby sweetness, even if it meant that he was napping on top of me and I wasn't getting sleep, just enjoying the fact that he was there and enjoying his smiles and being gentle with myself, knowing I couldn't do everything, that some days it was okay that the laundry didn't get flipped and was still sitting in the washer, <laughs> knowing that it was okay for the dishes to build up and knowing it was okay to just sit and enjoy talking with people when they were there. So, so this week, as we go into our study, I want you to ask yourself and ask each other, what does it look like to move forward with wisdom through the messiness into joy? Let's take a moment to pray together before we head into our small groups. God, thank you so much for the wisdom that you share with us. Thank you for the many examples you give us in scripture of people who struggle, people who are going through hard times. And Lord, just thank you for being, being there for us when things feel like they are too much. I pray that you would give us wisdom this week, that you would give us joy and let us just embrace that joy. I pray that you would bless this time that we have together. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I hope you enjoy your small groups. There is coffee on your way there if you are like me and need a second cup. Goodbye, Zoom crew.